All God's people said, amen. If you would join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, it's always helpful to reorganize your notes after the first sermon, there we go, okay, we don't want to start with the conclusion, all right, um, we go into a new series today, um, We've been in, of course, 1 John, and today we uh, come into a series called Give for the Kingdom, and I'll explain what that means here in just a moment, Uh, but let's begin by reading from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved." Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we're thankful today as we gather around your word. I pray that today, Lord, that you would really um, open our minds uh, to see how this text applies to our own lives, how it might be relevant to our daily decisions and the things that we work through in the year 2022. And so, Lord, pray that you would give us wisdom and that we devote ourselves to understanding your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been here for any period of time, uh, you know that I go through a New Testament book, I do a short topical series, then I go to an Old Testament book, then I do a short topical series, and I do a New Testament book. And so uh, this is the basic rhythm uh, that I uh, preach through. And the benefit of taking a topical series is you're able to address something that the church is going through, the nation's going through, or just uh, people within the congregation are going through. And of course, uh, in the coming weeks, we are going to be entering into a capital campaign for our uh, children's center and our food pantry that's going to be constructed. And uh, October 9th is Church Commitment Sunday. And uh, so, and our goal is $1.8 million to be pledged over the course of the next three years. Uh, I won't see your pledge. That'll be held in confidence. I won't know anything about it. Um, but um, this series, uh, in many ways, addresses this kind of an issue to help us think through it biblically. And our goal, uh, as always, is uh, to grasp the original intent of the biblical author. What you should demand of me every time we gather in a situation like this is show me in the Bible where you get what you're saying. And uh, that should be an absolute demand of everybody in this church and the demand that I uh, gladly uh, try to abide by. 
But I think there's two ditches when it comes to an issue like this and this kind of topical issue. The first is to take a biblical text and to twist it in order to manipulate God's people. And uh, all you have to do is turn on TV. This happens all the time uh, where they'll take some proof text and they will try to manipulate God's people. The second is to completely ignore uh, what we're walking through as a church in our own contemporary situation, just not address it at all. Uh, If I'm completely vulnerable with you this morning, I uh, do much better at avoiding ditch number one than I do uh, ditch number two. Uh, I enjoy just preaching through books of the Bible. Uh, Topical series make me nervous, uh, to be completely honest with you. Uh, It doesn't make me nervous to preach through 1 John or things like that, uh, but it takes a lot more effort uh, to really dive in and understand a topic from uh, Scripture when uh, you preach on that. But today I want to begin by framing our conversation with the overall mission of the church. What is our mission? Hopefully if you've been here for any period of time, you could say it back to me. Uh, but we exist to show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. That's our spin on uh, the Great Commission. Uh, the mission of this church is the same as what should be the mission of any a local church, and that is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I've commanded you, for lo, I'm, for behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so we say, show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus, because he didn't just say, uh, when he said make disciples, he didn't just say, teach them what I've commanded you. He said, teach them to obey what I've commanded you. And teaching them to obey is a lot different than just uh, someone standing behind a podium and downloading information for you. If it were just an intellectual thing, then we could just read Bibles, we could read books, we could download information from speakers, and then we could go try to put it into practice. But the reality is what we find in the Bible is that they taught people to obey the word of Christ, which means that you show them, you walk with them, you do exactly what Paul says in our text today, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, a formative verse for me personally, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That is discipleship. That is what it looks like to show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. Uh, And so the next question is, okay, how do we do that? What is uh, our church's process for making disciples? And we have the four... We have a 4G network, so to speak. Uh, We have the 4Gs. We make followers of Jesus who gather to worship. This is part of discipleship. What you're doing right now, uh, gathering with believers in Christ... Uh, reflecting on the goodness of God, uh, ascribing glory to God, ascribing the worth due His name, uh, devoting ourselves to prayer, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and uh, to fellowship. This is worship and part of discipleship. And as we reflect on the goodness of God and the gospel and the, uh, the glory of Christ, we are transformed to become more like Christ. Number two, grow in community. We make followers of Jesus who grow in community. So obviously uh, this is a certain kind of fellowship, uh, but this is not the kind of fellowship where there's uh, a ton of engagement back and forth. It'd just be weird and odd if someone stood up and said, Brother Jared, I've got a question right now, right? Uh, I'm not saying that's never happened in my ministry, but uh, it's a little bit awkward when it does happen, right? It's just not the setting for it. But small groups, life groups, uh, Sunday school, that kind of setting, you are able to engage you're able to interact, you're able to get deeper in a relationship with other people around you, and it's formative 
in changing you to become more like Christ. We are changed through meaningful, loving relationships. If that were not the case, you could stay home, you could watch TV, you could read your Bible, you could play something on Spotify or on the radio, and you're good. But the reality is you're made stronger by the people in this room. That's not just you, that's me as well. We are stronger when we gather in fellowship together. We grow in community. We make followers of Jesus who give for the kingdom. Jesus himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we do this in two ways. Number one, we give of ourselves in service, in humble service to the church. There are so many wonderful examples of servant-hearted leaders within this body. Uh, You do this well, but... Uh, How many of you, because you decided at one point in your life to serve in a certain way, today you're a completely different kind of person because that decision that you made years ago. God changes us. God forms us by giving of ourselves in service. And this also means giving of our resources. You just can't read the book of Acts and walk away and and not recognize the fact that they were a generous people. They gave for the goodness of God's kingdom, for the advancement of God's kingdom, to make the church strong, to advance the mission of the church. And sometimes it was hard for uh, Paul to get churches to do that. It's kind of hard to lead a missionary ministry when you're in jail. Right? And so he wrote to the church at Philippi and he said, Hey, you're the only one who stayed faithful in giving and partnering with me in this work. At one time, they were the only church. We like to read uh, the story of the Apostle Paul and just think that all these churches were rallying around him. No. Sometimes he was alone. He was depressed. He was going through struggles. And a church like Philippi gave to the mission. So we make followers of Jesus who give for the kingdom. And then finally, we make followers of Jesus who go to the world. I promise you, if you ever go on a mission trip, it will change your life. It will change your life. Some of us have been going uh, on mission trips to neighborhoods in this community, and I have watched as people have changed over the course of 16 weeks. This is not just something we did a few weeks ago where you could see people pat themselves on the back and get certificates. This is something that we've commissioned them to certain neighborhoods in the community, but I have watched a confidence of boldness uh, develop within them that they simply did not have 16 weeks ago because they've committed to trying to reach people for Christ and learn the gospel. The common themes throughout all of this are trust and obey, obedience to Christ, faithfulness to Christ. These are common themes throughout Uh, Jesus' teachings, the chief end of man, uh, the famous confession says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That means that the purpose of your life is to know God, to be in a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And your fresh goal every single day is to become more like Jesus. That's your goal. You say, what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing today? Okay, who, who am I? Where am I at? We might wonder some days. But the point is, you're supposed to become like Christ more and more as each day goes by. Of course, over the next couple of weeks, we'll focus on give for the kingdom. Give for the kingdom today is kind of an introduction to that topic. And to be completely honest, we don't talk a lot about giving uh, today. Uh, but uh, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that it does not stifle the human mind. We are invited to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to grow in knowledge. We are to grow in understanding and wisdom. And the Bible lays down some very clear, hard facts for us, uh, some rules, some guidelines. And at the same time, it teaches us how to think 
in a number of different ethical, moral situations that you face in life, uh, there's not always going to be a Bible passage for you to fall back on and to tell you exactly what you should do. Some of you decided to wear uh, blue jeans to church today. You didn't go to the Bible and find anything for that. You made a decision on your own. Uh, Some of you haven't thought about it until just now. Some of you are going to go make a decision about what you should eat after church. You're not going to go to the Bible and find some passage uh, that directs you in that. There's any number of decisions we make on a regular basis that uh, we have some biblical principles and foundations uh, to rest upon. But you really do have to think for yourself uh, in those ways and prayerfully work through the issue. And so that leaves us with a curious question today. It leaves us with a curious question. How do I make a decision not directly commanded or addressed in Scripture? Now, we don't like to talk about that a lot, but how do we make those kind of decisions? Some of you made a choice uh, to come to this church, and you would say that God led you to this church and praise God for that. You didn't go find a Bible passage that said that. Taylor's Valley Baptist Church isn't in the Bible, right? Uh, Hadn't gotten over the the ocean yet, right? Uh, The gospel hadn't. And uh, so you have to make those kind of decisions sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I want to talk about this today and uh, start with this kind of introduction is because we as a church uh, have decisions to make, but individual families have decisions to make as to whether or not you will give in support of the capital campaign, uh, whether or not you want to uh, support that effort, and if so, uh, to what degree. And I just think it's so dangerous uh, for some pastors uh, to go and find some proof text in the backwoods of Leviticus to compel church members to give to something, right? So what I want to do today is I want to help all of us think through the issue, think through how to make decisions that are good decisions uh, in our various circumstances uh, so that we might honor and glorify God. So in order to do that, we're going to look at... uh, a very archaic uh, issue in the Bible. It's archaic uh, in the sense that you haven't thought twice about whether you eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Nobody lies awake at night wondering if that chicken that you're going to eat for lunch was sacrificed to some pagan deity, right? You're just going to go eat it. You're going to go eat barbecue. You're going to go eat whatever, and you're going to rest peacefully tonight, not worried about that issue. That was not the situation they faced in the first century. In the first century, the uh, Corinthians customarily dined around pagan temples. The pagan temples were the center of civic activity in their communities, and so they would sacrifice meat uh, to these idols, and then they would sell some of that meat uh, to those around them. The beginning of this entire section begins in chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Notice how it begins. Now about food sacrificed to idols. About food sacrificed to idols. So they have written the Apostle Paul, they've had a conflict in their church, and they've written to the Apostle Paul to help them work through it. Now wouldn't it just be great if any time we had an issue, we could just pick up pen and paper and write him a letter or shoot the Apostle Paul an email and say, what do we do? We think, well, that would be great, but a lot of stuff that he responds with wasn't so great for that church, right? It's like, oh no, maybe we shouldn't have written after all. 
Because a lot of times they're rebuked. I mean, just look at the next chapter, uh, chapter 11. He's about to really get on to them for the way that they do the Lord's Supper and a number of other things. So um, as we think through this issue, we have an example of a church. They are trying to think through an issue and how they should respond to it. And uh, should we eat this food that had been sacrificed to idols? Uh, A lot of church members did not have a problem at all with it. And then other church members had a significant concern with it. Now let's ask, how does that apply to our day? So I want to give us four clarifying questions to ask. When we're trying to make decisions, uh, they had a moral issue in front of them. We've got other issues uh, in front of us as families and as a church today. And so four clarifying questions to ask when trying to make decisions. I do not pretend to suggest that this is an exhaustive list, but I do think this is a helpful framework for you as you work through things and make decisions as an individual, as family, and as a church. Number one, will it be beneficial to others? Will it be beneficial to others? Now, some of your translations begin with all things are lawful. Mine begin, translation begins with I have the right to do anything. It's the same kind of thing. One's more word for word and one's more thought for thought. Uh, but a lot of your translations will have that in quotes. If you look at it, it'll have it in quotes. And that's because uh, most scholars believe uh, that the Apostle Paul is quoting something being said in the church. Remember, they've written him. Now he's responding to their, uh, uh, their concerns and their questions now about, about food sacrificed to idols. And so uh, most think that he's quoting something that they've said in the church, that all things are lawful. And then he's contrasting that. He's pushing back gently to that. And he begins by saying, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. So they felt like they had this freedom to do something. And because they felt theologically like, hey, this is okay. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So they had their their theology and they had their hungry bellies. And that's a dangerous place for some of us to be. It's like, okay, we've got permission to go do this. Let's roll. Let's run headlong into this and do whatever we want to do because it's lawful. And Paul says, not so fast. Hang on just a minute. Um, Let's think about this. Not everything is beneficial. Ah. How many of us, we, we just, God, what is that lowest common denominator of obedience that we have to do in order to be okay, right? Like, what's that bottom level that if we can just do that, that's enough. He, Paul's asking a different question. Not everything's beneficial for the church. Just because you, in your Christian freedom, believe that something is morally fine for you to do, that in and of itself does not resolve the matter. Look at verse 24. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. That is, I would suggest, the common theme from chapters 8 all the way through chapter 10. You should not seek your own good, ultimately, but you should seek the good of others. Seek the good of others. This is a guiding principle, and I believe you could divide this up into two groups of people. One are unbelievers, those outside the church, and another is the church of God, those within the body of Christ. And so you'll notice down in chapter 10, verse 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks. In his vernacular, those would mean those outside the church who have not come to faith in Christ, or the church of God. So whether we're talking about people outside the church or people inside the church, our general default mode of interaction is to seek the good of other people. And then he continues, and notice that word beneficial there. 
That word beneficial, what, what does that word mean? It means to be to the advantage of someone, uh, for someone else to be better off, uh, to be uh, to someone's advantage. So you're, when you're thinking through a situation, how will this impact other people? How will this affect the people around me within the body of Christ and uh, in, even in this context, those outside the body of Christ, unbelievers? If I perform this action... Will it be to the benefit of others? Will others be better off? And will it be to their advantage? Number two, will it strengthen the body of Christ? Will it strengthen the body of Christ? Notice what he says, verse 23. I have the right to do anything. Some people are saying all things are lawful. It's fine for me to do this. But, hang on just a minute, but not everything's beneficial. Even if it might be morally fine in some circumstances, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's beneficial for others. And then I have a right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is constructive. So these are the two determining factors he opens with. Will it benefit others, and will this action edify others? That word constructive means to increase the potential of someone. I love that. I love that definition, to increase the potential of someone. So when we're making decisions, am I bringing the best out of other people around me because of what I'm doing, my actions, the decisions that I'm making, will this bring more out of other people around me within the household of God and uh, unbelievers as well? Um, if you'll remember where we began, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, he says now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. And again, I think that's probably him quoting something that they are saying, that we possess knowledge. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. The worst thing you could ever do uh, sometimes in your uh, Bible study is just think that you've arrived at a certain place and there's no further learning for you. And you begin to close your mind and you're, you're not interested in learning more. They, they had come to a place where they had some knowledge on certain issues. And Paul says at the beginning in chapter 8, verse 1, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. If you're guided by the same thing we've been talking about in our First John series, you're guided by a desire to love other people. You're going to use your giftings, you're going to use your calling in order to help other people and make the church strong. In fact, did you know that the value of your spiritual gift is directly related to how it impacts and builds the body of Christ? Over in 1 Corinthians 14, if you would, turn there with me. We'll turn around a little bit today. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. He returns to this follow the way of love. He just got finished talking about how the greatest of these is love. And he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to follow the way of love. The way of love means that you are considerate of people around you. You're thinking about other people around you. Notice verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church 
may be edified. Skip down to verse 12. Skip down to verse 12. So it is with you, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build the church. In other words, you've got a range of gifts. You've got a range of giftings. Uh, which one should you really culture and, and cultivate, uh, nurture and, and cultivate and, uh, and really use in your life? It should be those that builds up other people around you, that makes the church of the living God strong. Are we responsible for a number of different things? Should you pray? Yes, you should pray. Should you give? Yes, you should give. Should you evangelize? Yes, you should evangelize. This is no excuse to not grow in certain areas uh, that we're commanded to grow in Scripture. However, some of you are specifically gifted in a certain area. And if you're gifted in that area, then you should give of yourself in that area. You should develop your craft you should develop that gift. You should uh, put into flame. What, is, uh, what does Paul say to Timothy? Uh, stir into flame, or uh, I'm saying it wrong. Fan into flame. There we go. Something with a flame. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Over in another section, Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Paul lists some of these gifts. He lists it in Corinthians 2, but I just want you to see how pervasive this is in his writings. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, he says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have some kind of gift. God has given you some kind of gift by his grace. If your, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Why? What's the driving motivation? Your love for the people of God. Your love for God, your love for God's people. And the value of that gift is directly related to how it impacts the church. So some of you show up on Sundays and, and you have various ministries and you put those gifts into practice uh, and it builds the body of Christ. And let me just say that just because uh, I think the most architecturally dangerous thing in the world for a church is a stage, that just because it doesn't take place on the stage does not mean it's any less valuable. Okay? God uses that in profound ways in the life of this church. And there are godly men and women who use that on a daily basis and it impacts this church beyond what you could possibly imagine. Number three, question. Will it bring glory to God? Will it bring glory to God? Back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we arrive at perhaps the most popular verse in the entire chapter, if not the entire letter. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And that takes on a little bit different meaning, doesn't it? Uh, once you look at the entire passage in its context. Uh, I don't have any problem with uh, people who interpret whatever you do to mean just as you go through life, the things that you do, all of them should be done to the glory of God. Uh, probably uh, if you have a scripture passage on a coffee uh, mug at home, you probably don't have the part about meat being sacrificed to idols there as well, do you? 
right? Uh, you just start with verse 31. That's the quotable verse in the passage, okay? Uh, but the reality is that is the context. That's what Paul is thinking about, and he's saying, hey, whether you do this or whether you do that, do it for the glory of God. Now, notice uh, what he does here in verse 27. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So let's imagine a situation where a first century Corinthian Christian goes over to the house of an unbeliever and they put meat in front of them. Paul says, here's what you do not do. Do not decline that meat based upon, or do not ask whether that has been sacrificed to idols. You say, well, why not? Because it's rude, right? If you go over to somebody's house, now, where did you get your meat from? <laughs> Try it. See what happens to you, okay? That's just not good etiquette. It's not good manners. But notice what he says in the next verse. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Now think about that. If, if they put the meat out in front of you and they say, this meat has been sacrificed to an idol. Now you partaking means a totally different thing. You see, your actions communicate something, your actions mean something, and you have to think through, if I do this or that, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, is it going to be done for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for the edification of the church? You see how he's thinking through this methodically. Whatever you do, in other words, whatever decision, he gives some guidelines, but whatever you do, whatever decision you arrive at, do it for the glory of God. Now, here's something even more interesting. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. Every now and then, uh, a verse, uh, catch, I've read, you know, uh, certain passages many times, but have you, aren't you thankful that when you read the Bible, sometimes stuff just jumps out at you, you've read a million times, and just grabs your attention like, Wake up to what I'm saying. That happened for me in Romans chapter 14. Listen to what it says in chapter 14, verse 1. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Wow. So they've got this controversial issue in the church at Rome that they're dealing with. And Paul says, hey, some are going to do this based upon their conscience, what they believe is right. Others are going to do this based on their... And you know what? God's accepted both of them. This is not a, a gospel issue here. This is one of those things that people are thinking through, and it might be different circumstance to circumstance. Continue on, verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. But listen to this. This is a verse that struck me. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Listen to this. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Paul, we're writing you for you to settle an issue. We want you to referee this. We want you to make a call. We want to know, you tell us what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do. Believe me, if you read Romans, you read 1 Corinthians, he does that plenty. He says, this is right, this is wrong. He makes many things clear. There are other issues where he's like, think for yourself. You think through this yourself. 
It may look different in a different culture. It may apply different in a different culture. But you be fully convinced in your own mind after you've read the scriptures, after you've prayed, after you've counseled with other church members, arrive at a decision that you believe is God-honoring, good for others, edifying for the body of Christ, and be fully convinced in your own mind. In other words, be sincere. Do what you do. Believe what you believe based upon what you think is true and reflects the glory of God. Finally, number four, will it advance the kingdom of God? Will it advance the kingdom of God? Um, Paul is saying to be careful how you live so that you do not cause another person, whether they are a believer or not a believer, to stumble or for your life to become a hindrance in their relationship with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. In other words, he's saying, I try to live my life in such a way so as I'm not unnecessarily offensive to other people. Okay, So that I'm not unnecessarily entering into quarrels and conflicts with other people. I'm not going to live my life that way. I'm going to consider the good of others rather than my own good. I'm going to consider the edification of the body of Christ and what brings glory to God. But then look at his next verse. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul, why do you do what you do? Why do you live that way? Because he wants to lead them to Christ. Because he wants them to have a personal relationship with God. And as he says earlier in chapter 8, if him eating meat is going to cause one of, in his context, one of his brothers and sisters to stumble or someone outside the church to stumble, then he won't eat meat. Why? Because he wants to reach them with the gospel. Why take a secondary issue like that and make it supreme over reaching another person for Christ? Love, again, is the guiding principle. I'll give you an interesting scenario, a biblical scenario. Paul, um, in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, you can just write that down, I won't turn there. But he's going to take this young believer named Timothy with him on mission in that context to reach some Jewish people for Christ. Timothy wasn't circumcised, so he had him circumcised in order for him to go on that mission trip. Now I want you to turn over to Galatians chapter 2. You, you, read, you look it up for yourself, read it for yourself. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In other words, if in this situation he feels like his mission is going to be accomplished better by doing this than he does it, if in a different context, if he believes it's going to hinder his mission, then he doesn't do it. 
So again, there are certain biblical foundational things taught in Scripture that are black and white you, you don't mess with. And then there are things that are different from place to place, and you have to think critically through what the Bible says and apply it to your own situation. So you have a number of different um, decisions that you will make as an individual, as a family. And I think this is a helpful framework for you on this archaic issue that none of us struggle with today. None of you struggle whether or not to eat meat today. Probably for most of us, it's not, at least it's not the same reason, right? That's an archaic moral situation. But it's so relevant for helping us critically think through a decision that we're going to make, giving us a framework. Will this action turn out for the good of others? Will this action serve to edify the body of Christ? Will this action bring glory to God and show people who God is? And will this action reach more lost people? And if you answer an affirmative on those, that, hey, this is going to help other people. It's going to edify the body of Christ. Uh, this is going to bring glory to God. And ultimately, we can reach more people for Christ. Then you've got some good direction to go on, even if it's not directly mentioned in the Bible. Aren't you thankful that God is so passionate for lost people that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins and one of the things that people just got so upset with Jesus about is how much time he spent engaging lost people, tax collectors, sinners. And he responds by telling them that parable about the shepherd going to the lost sheep. People got so angry with him, he wanted to go eat with Zacchaeus. But he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a body of Christ, to make disciples, to edify believers within the body and to reach those outside the body with the good news of Jesus Christ. So I hope as we think through personal issues, issues with your family, I hope this helps. And I hope it helps us as a church family think through issues before us as well. Things like, okay, is this project we're going to move into... Is, is it going to be for the good of others? Is it going to edify the body of Christ? Is it going to bring glory to God? And will more people be reached with the gospel of Christ? Here's the beautiful thing. I will leave you to answer that. You know where I stand. I'll leave you to work through that on your own. And guess what? I promise you, I won't judge you. Just like Paul said in Romans 14, I won't judge you either way. But I ask you to be fully convinced in your own minds. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Gracious Father, as we gather today, I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who does not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would know how zealous and passionate he is, that he would leave the throne room of heaven to come to their rescue, to humble himself and become obedient to death on a cross that we might have life. I pray, Father, that we would look at the example of the apostles in the Bible and see how strategically, how aggressively, how passionately they sought to reach the lost. And I pray, Lord, that would be true of us. I pray your blessing over us today, and I pray, Lord, as we come to this time of response, that we'd respond as your Spirit leads us. We'd reason together over Scripture together, and, Father, we would respond as the Spirit leads us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today as we come to a time of response, I just want to ask you if you never trusted in Christ, invite you to do so today. 
uh, to consider. Take another look at Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross and that that demands a response from all of us. Uh, maybe you've never followed through believer's baptism. I invite you today to consider doing that and walking in obedience to the Lord or joining our church or just coming and kneeling at the altar. Maybe uh, you've got some decisions you're making personally as a family, uh, whatnot, that you're working through, and you just need guidance. You need uh, the Lord to lead you. Uh, and so you might just need to come kneel at the altar and pray, God, give me direction, give me wisdom, and give me insight. Whatever the Lord would lead you to do this morning, I pray that you're faithful and obedient to him. Let's all stand as we respond to the Lord.